Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. We're back with another episode of The Short Stacks, our shorter conversations with authors about their process and their books. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas. Our guest today is award-winning novelist Miriam Taves, author of eight books, including All My Puny Sorrows and A Complicated Kindness. Today, we'll be discussing her most recent book, Women Talking. But before we get to that conversation, here's a little housekeeping. If you want even more of The Stacks, join The Stacks Pack over on Patreon. You can help support the show, engage with bookish friends, partake in our virtual book club, have a say in the books we cover on the show, and much more. So head to patreon.com slash the stacks. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash the stacks. You can always send your support our way by going to paypal.me slash the stacks pod. Before we dive into today's episode of The Short Stacks, make sure you're subscribed to this podcast wherever you listen and leave us a rating and a review, especially if you're listening through Apple Podcasts. Okay, our guest today is Miriam Taves, a Canadian novelist. We're talking about Taves' newest release, Women Talking, which was inspired by true events that took place in the mid to late 2000s, where women of a Mennonite colony were drugged and raped in their sleep by men of their community. As Tave says in the book, quote, women talking is both a reaction through fiction to these true life events and an act of female imagination. I'll let Miriam take it from here. Okay, Miriam, thank you so much for being here on the stacks with us. Thank you for having me. Of course. So we're going to just dive in. The first thing I'm going to ask you is in about 30 seconds or less, can you tell us about your book? Um, between 2000 and 2000, 2005, 2009, um, there were rapes, attacks occurring, um, in the Manitoba Mennonite colony in Bolivia. Um, when the women finally started talking about them, they weren't, um, believed they were blamed. Um, and this is an ultra conservative closed colony. And so the book is about, um, it's an imagined response to these attacks. Amazing. That was really good. Why did you feel compelled to tell this story? Well, when I first heard about these rapes, I was um, as horrified as, as anybody else. There were rumors going around in the, in the Mennonite community here in North America, uh, especially here in, in Canada. And, um, and I, you know, I, I was enraged. I was saddened. I, I, I was horrified. Um, but I also had so many questions, um, questions that I feel that I've been 
um, attempting to answer or at least come closer to understanding in my work over the years, but, uh, and now sort of reaching ahead with, you know, with, with the knowledge and awareness of these crimes. Um, so questions about, about, um, about the, the cult, the culture, the, my, my community of, of Mennonites that, you know, it's a, it's a patriarchal, uh, community, authoritarian, fundamentalist, um, you know, with the misogyny there, therein, uh, the inherent misogyny of that. And I just wanted to, uh, and then, you know, we can see, we can see the, the, the consequences of, of these types of things, this culture of control, uh, especially, um, you know, when we see these types of, uh, um, attacks, uh, happening. So I, I had questions about, about these things and, and that I wanted to, um, explore in, in my, in my writing. And I wanted to have, uh, the women, um, from the colony, my, my fictional characters ask themselves and each other these questions. Yes. I mean, I feel like that's to hear you say that is really interesting because that's like when I was reading the book, I thought, wow, she's really grappling like with these ideas and it's kind of a complex and there's lots of layers and there's lots of questions, you know, like about forgiveness and about whose right it is to be in control of what things and, you know, all of that stuff. And I kind of feel like parts of this book feel like your own personal, perhaps that's overstepping, but your own meditations and thoughts on these ideas. And I kind of was wondering why you chose to write a novel as opposed to a collection of essays or kind of in my fantasy mind, like a play, because this really Mm -hmm. felt like a play, like a one room theatrical moment. So I don't know what it was for you that was like, I'm going to do this as a novel. Mm-hmm. I guess, um, what, what, um, I mean, I'm a novelist, so right. no, but, but, it, but it's a good question because, um, like you say, you know, it's, a, it's I've written a, 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 a sort of, it's an unusual, uh, format and in, in that you're, you're right. I mean, it is, it is, it does read like a play in a sense that there's so much dialogue and it is like the, the title suggests women talking for the most part, but not entirely. Um, I, you know, I, I, I wanted to write a novel about it. I wanted to be able to, you know, use fiction for, for what it's so good at, which is getting to, you know, certain truths that nonfiction can't. And within that context, um, of the, you know, the, the, the sort of novel format with, August Epp, the narrator coming in and out with his own experiences, his um, kind of parallel life um, and, and, and reasons for being there. Um, I guess all of all of those things, the the voices of the women, the the, the chorus of, of, the, of the collective voice of the women um, were just things that I thought work better, um, within, uh, you know, with, within, within the novel. I, and, and, and to be perfectly honest with you, I, maybe I have written one or two essays in my life, but it's not a form that I'm, (laughs) I really feel I know, I don't know how to write an essay. (laughs) That's so interesting. I love, I, I'm always fascinated with authors own perceptions of themselves and their writing because I don't write. I just love to read. And so in my mind, I'm like, oh, if you can write a novel, you could write an essay, you could write a play. Like, so it's fun to hear you say like, I don't really do that. I don't really, you know, I've never, I would love to be a, a, a poet. I mean, for me, poetry is the, is just the, is the, you know, the purest you know, uh, and, and I've tried to write poetry and I know that, it, that, that it's just awful and should never, ever, you know, be shown or to anybody, but, but, um, or, and even the short story, I mean, it's its own art form, you know? Yeah. So I know it is an interesting thing how, however, whatever brains we have as 
you know, as, as writers that we're somehow drawn or compelled to, 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 you know, but there are writers who, who kind of cross all sorts of, you know, boundaries and, and, uh, are very versatile, but unfortunately I'm not one of them. Well, you just think you're not one of them. Maybe one day you will be, and you'll be like, I remember years ago, I thought I could only write a novel and then you're going to be like poet laureate or something. (laughs) Yeah, we'll see. We'll touch back in. So one of the things in women talking, it's kind of, I mean, it's a big book as far as like what you're grappling with. Like it's big ideas, you know, it's very heady stuff, but the way that you approach it and and it's not big, like it's not that long, but, um, but the way that you approach it is feels really intimate. And, and in addition to that, you have a lot of funny comedy, like there are parts where I kind of like chuckled to myself, some of the lines, some of the moments. And so I'm kind of wondering how you balance or how you approach balancing these big issues about, you know, forgiveness and rape and male authority with kind of these smaller, more intimate moments and how you approach that kind of work? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it it is, I think in a way it is a kind of uh, unconscious or subconscious kind of thing. It's, it's the, the, that way, like, I guess that rhythm of, of the darker, um, more serious or philosophical, you know, like the, the kind of combination, almost like um, um, like chorus verse chorus. It's almost, you know, in my mind, I guess I could, Although music is another thing that I can't do, but in my mind, I can think of the novel as having a kind of musical rhythm in a sense and, and with, with a pacing and with a, an in and out of the darker all, all along though. I mean, like the, the, you know, the tension in, in the loft where the women are, are talking, um, is there, it's pervasive. They're, they're terrified. They're, um, they're, in their their suffering they've been violated they've been harmed they've been um you know so so and that pain that they're carrying mm-hmm. uh, in so many different ways psychically physically spiritually is is there is always is always there but then the 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 need i think for me anyway as a writer and and maybe for the reader as well to sort of then kind of move away a little bit uh, in tone and get to a lighter moment is, is again, you know, what, what I think of, I guess, as a, as a kind of rhythm, as a, as a rhythm that's, you know, that you can enter into more easily as the reader and the writer too, um, to keep it, to, to keep that, to keep that going so that it's not necessarily the, the comic moments or the, the lighter stuff isn't necessarily, uh, a break or, or a change, um, it's not, it's not a, it's not meant to be a distraction from, from the serious, um, nature of, of what the women are, are discussing and attempting to, to, you know, plan, but, but, um, but it, but it's meant to, to, it's, it's just another, it's another way of showing these women as real human beings, because I think, you know, even, even when, even in our, in our dark, dark times and, and, and in trauma, especially, I know from experience, you know, that, that idea, especially when you're with a group of people, um, and people that, you know, I mean, there is that tendency to, 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 
you know, to be drawn towards towards laughter or or a kind of collective sighing of relief that might, you know, take the form of a joke or comedy or an amusing anecdote or or even a kind of physical gag, you know, like the teenagers in the loft, you know, in right. in the book who mime all sorts of things because they're bored to death and stuff. But so yeah, so again, um, sorry, I'm rambling, but again, it's kind of it's it's the idea of creating a, a kind of gentle or and then not so gentle uh, rhythm in and in and out of of verse and chorus in a way. If I can, if I if if I if I can um, compare it to music. Yeah, no, definitely. I wonder a little bit about the narrator or the person through who we see the story, which is August, who's a man. And I'm sure this is something that you, you know, thought about and figured out. But why did you decide to have a male be our entry point into the story? Mm-hmm. For, there, there are many reasons. Um, first of all, he can read and write. The women, uh, he's left He's left the colony, he's educated. Uh, he, he, he left the colony because his family was shunned, was kicked out of the colony for, you know, sort of ridiculous but perceived sins, crimes um, within, within the colony, which basically consisted of trying to educate children. And he himself is a teacher. Anyway, so he's been away. He's lived in England and he's, he's um, you know, he's, he, he knows how to read and write. But and that and 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 the women don't. They're they they're illiterate for essentially. And um and so just out of pure necessity, if the the book is the minutes of these meetings, then um, they would need somebody who knew how to write to take to take the minutes. But more importantly, um, you know, August is um, he is suffering as well. He's also a victim of that of that culture, though not, of course, to the same degree that the women are. He's still a man. He's still entitled. Um, but but. Um, He's he's he he's suffering and Ona, the woman that he is in love with, um, although in his own kind of unexpressed way, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, expressed but unexpressed. Um, she senses this at the beginning of the book. She senses that he is suffering, that in fact he's suicidal, that he's so close to to um, to to taking his own life and to succumbing to that kind of despair that he embodies. And and um, and so she says uh, uh in an act of compassion and love and, and, um, for August, you know, Hey, August, just, you know, come, come with us women. We're going to be in the, we're going to be having these meetings. You come join us. You'll be safe with us. Um, and at least you'll be alive, you know, while, while you're with us at least. And, and, and we'll give you this task, you know, mm-hmm. you know how to write, you, mm-hmm. you have a fancy education, you were, you know, so you can, you can write down, you can bear witness, um, essentially to, to what we're saying. And so in my mind, I mean, the women are the philosophers They're they're you know, it's a, it's an inversion of roles. He's there, he's the secretary, he's there to listen, um, to learn and to record. Uh, and, and I like the, you know, that, that role, uh, re- reversal and, and how in a way, I mean, August inhabits, uh, maybe it's heavy handed to say all men, but in that it's time now for, uh, for women to do the talking, for men to do the listening and the learning. And in the end, in, in, in the end too, I mean, the minutes are irrelevant, you know, um, they, they, they don't, the women, the women don't need them. They'll go on to, you know, to, they'll go on to write their own stories, um, and they have more urgent, important things to take care of. And, and August is left, you know, basically, um, at the end, you know, wondering, he asks himself how, you know, how, how will I live with, without these women? And in a sense, they've, they've given him life and, and they've, they've, they've given him a, t- a type of education. Right. 
Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. When you were writing this book, what sort of stuff were you, Miriam, reading, watching, listening to either for inspiration or escape or research or just kind of what was in your mind as you're doing this process? Mm-hmm. Well, that is a good question. What was I reading when I was, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think, I mean, I was reading a lot of um, Rachel Cusk probably. Um, I was, I was reading, um, some, you know, I don't know, probably Bolaño, Roberto Bolaño, um, a, a writer whom I admire very much has been dead for a while. Um, I was writing, I was reading Virginia Woolf, I, like, which I turned to, uh, on a regular basis, um, for, for inspiration, but it's hard, it's hard to remember. Um, as, as you know, that the, uh, the I was reading the Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was reading work by um, other um, Mennonites about uh, the culture, about um, with the Mennonites are the same questions that I have. Um, I, I was uh, listening to my mother. I was listening to the sounds of my mother is a is a devout Mennonite 
um, church-going uh, person, and she lives here with Eric and me, with my partner. She lives um, on the main floor of the house, and we're on the second floor of the house. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when her friends come over, I was listening to the way they, the way they talk, the way they pray together and sing together and express themselves and and connect and reconnect. Um, you know, there there was so much. Um, there there was so much going on. But of course, I finished writing the book in. 2016 or 2000 at the, at the very end at the very end of 2016 so um yeah so so it's a little it's a little bit difficult for me now so many books and along the way that it's hard for right. me to <laughs> remember I remember I was reading um Joy Williams at the time too who who I think is um just uh brilliant mm. this book came out originally in Canada first correct or no? Yes, yes, yes. yes, okay. yes That's what I thought. Correct. Um, yeah. So I do have a question a little bit about the way that the book looks, like the cover. When you mm. publish a book in somewhere else in Canada, and then it gets published down the line in America, do you mm. have say in like the second printing, like the international printing? Or is that all through your publisher? Um, I do have I do have a bit of a say. Yeah, definitely. Um, it, you know, uh, here in Canada, I've just, you know, all the covers of my books, I've, I've always, I, you know, they're usually some designs are sent to me and put po- po- you know, possible covers and, and, um, and I'll have, you know, I'll have some thoughts this, uh, and, and, and often, you know, those are respected and, and, um, and, and that's great. You know, sometimes publishers will just have, you know, the designs that they want because of they, they know their audiences, their readers better. And for instance, I don't know, Italy or France or, or, or wherever, you know, so, um, but, but, um, but certainly here, here in Canada, I have a lot of, uh, you know, kind of in, in, input. And, um, um, I find that with this book, with women talking, there's so many different beautiful, um, cover covers that, you know, um, and, and so they're so different one from the other. Yeah. yeah I really, I really love them all. I've, re- I've really been lucky with the, with the covers. I do have a question a little bit about your family. So you mentioned your mom and I did a little research on you, not a ton, a little bit. I like to know a little. And her maiden name is the same as one of the families of women in the book. So I'm wondering, did you, do you name your characters after family or friends or in this case, was that intentional or is that just a very common Mennonite last name? All those things. It okay. it it uh, it was intentional. It's a very common Mennonite last name, uh, and I do know, and and um, but yeah, my mother's name is Lowen or Laven, um, pronounced with this, you know sim- similarly to Taves, the O E W, but it Lowen Laven, um, and her mother's maiden name was Friesen actually, and that's the other family in the okay. book. So I use those two maiden names of my, you know, my, my grandmother and my mother. And, um, it, it felt good to me to do that. It, it felt right. And, and certainly the women, the characters themselves are all based or inspired by the Mennonite women that I know my family, my mother, grandmother, sister, you know, and friends, uh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It, ha- it helped me to just to, to know who they are in my mind. And so in order to you know, characterize them, I guess. Right. And do you, well, I guess you've written a lot of books and how does it change for you as an author from writing like your first two or three to now, is this seven or eight for you? Um, eight. Eight. Yeah. So like you're, you know, you're a seasoned author, like you're an author with a capital A. What, 
what's different? What's the hardest part about, you know, being a professional author versus someone who's like, this is my debut and this is something new for me and it's all fresh and exciting? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's funny that you mentioned that because, I mean, there was just nothing uh, freer, no time. You know, when I was when I was writing my first book, uh, and this was a hundred, four hundred and fifty years ago in my twenties, <laughs> and uh, and um, the freedom of that, you know, with nothing, no precedent, nothing had come before. You know, I had no right. hope that it would actually ever see the light of day. So I felt this incredible freedom um, and joy, and uh, you know, um, without the voices and the, you know, without feeling that I needed to. Um, I don't know, but, but, uh, and that, that was the freest time. And, and when I was, you know, when, when somebody wanted to publish it, uh, it was honestly the most exciting, strangest moment in my life. I, I, you know, in my career, I mean, in my, in my writing career, I couldn't believe it. I, you know, it was, um, yeah, it was just so, so exciting. And since then, um, you know, there've been you, you know, with the books, um, every, every time is, is fresh, is new, is terrifying. Uh, I always think after I, you know, I mean, I, I won, but especially I couldn't write a book that I didn't want to write. Um, you know, we, you feel that people maybe want to read something that's similar to what they read before, but, um, you know, it's hard to sustain interest in, in a novel, a novel, writing, writing a novel. If you're, if you're writing it for somebody, you know, else really, um, if it's not the novel that you want to be writing or the thing that you want to be writing. Uh, so, um, I would tell myself, I do tell myself, this is the best that I can do. Um, this is the only thing that I can write based on my experiences and at this point in my life. And, and um, it's an imperfect offering, of course, always will be. Um, but um, it's the only thing that I can do. So in, in that way, I can, you know, it, I can, you know, there's that sort of psychological kind of talking to oneself mm. before the writing. But certainly it was e- easier in a way. At the beginning, you, you know, I guess as m- some of my books have become, be- you know, better known or, 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 or the response has been broad greater, um, that's so uh, gratifying. And um, to, ha- to, to have that, that connection uh, with readers and, and to have that conversation, even though right. it's not literally necessarily a conversation, but it's, it's amazing. But, but it's also, um, you know, um, it's easy to fall into a position where you, where you, or, or a kind of frame of mind where, where you start to, to re- really, really um, doubt, you know, yourself. And, and, um, it, you know, I wonder maybe I should stop. Right. I always feel after every book that this is it. It's, it's just too hard on me. It's too, I, you know, I can't hand, I can't, hand, I can't do it. I, yeah, maybe I'm just lazy, but <laughs> <laughs> what would you do if you stopped being an author? Exactly. Do you have That's a dream? Do you have something else? No. And now I'm far too old to start, you know, some new, so now I'm stuck. I have to, no, and I, 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 I want to write again. I, I need to keep writing. I'll, I'll have to write, you know, I, that's the, I need to, I, I, I am, un, I'm an unhealthy person if I'm not writing mm. in every way. Uh, so I'll have to, you know, I, I'll, I'll continue to do it, but, um, uh, I don't know what I would do if I if I didn't write. I I fantasize about it, you know, maybe like driving around, uh, <laughs> driving around. But how can I, you know, what? How, I guess I, a cab driver. I yes. could be 
But or a, or a bus driver, bus driver, tour bus, <laughs> tour bus, tour bus driver. I would love to be a tour bus driver. Well, I think we can make that happen if you're serious. <laughs> I am serious. Get your resume love, out there. I love, drive. I love road trips. I love long. I would, mm. yeah, somewhere in the desert, you know, if I could drive a tour bus in a desert with friendly people who, you know, didn't, who, in good tunes, you know. This is also tour. sounds like a book to me, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a fun little romp. <laughs> anyway, as you can see, I'm sorry, I'm rambling on about other things besides writing. As you can see, I'm, yeah, I'm in that place where I'm fantasizing. Yes. It's okay. I love a fantasy. Well, tell me about your writing process a little bit. Where do you write? Like, what do you have music playing? Are you eating a snack? Do you have a beverage you drink? Do you light a candle? Like, what is your, okay, Mm -hmm. it's writing time. Mm -hmm. I light a candle, Uh, especially um, this last book I started. I started doing that when I was writing Women Talking. I I lit a candle every day. Um, I I meditate a little bit beforehand, especially with this book, thinking of the women, thinking of the real women, Um, praying. I pray, um, which is, um, you know, surprises even me. I haven't prayed in so long. And whether it's meditation or whether it's prayer, whatever it is, it's thinking. It's mindfulness, um, you know, the word of the day, but, but, um, thinking and, and, um, asking for guidance and for, and attempting to telling myself, you know, write, write as honestly and as intelligently as you possibly can. And, um, you know, think of, and, and take on, take on the, 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 the suffering. I mean, there's a, there's this uh, line that I read in a book, you know, my suffering is the world's suffering, you know, my suffering is the world's suffering, um, which is so beautiful in a way. I mean, it helps to put one's own suffering for whatever, for, for what it's worth or lack thereof into perspective. And that, you know, to live is to suffer. Um, some of us, including these women in Bolivia have, um, suffered a great deal and, and more than, 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 than I ever will. But, but, um, but to put oneself in that headspace, you know, requires a kind of thinking before, before the actual writing. And, and so that's a little bit of a process, um, at the beginning and lighting a candle and, um, I don't listen to music <laughs> and, um, I, I, I would get too busy in my head if I were to listen to music and no, I don't eat snacks, but I do drink a lot of coffee. I eat a lot of snacks. I eat a lot of snacks when I'm not writing, just not during the writing process. Got it. Got it. Um, how long did it take you to write this book? It didn't, I, I spent so long thinking about it and taking notes and reading. Um, like I said, I, I heard about the rapes around 2009 um, and immediately began to think, you know, I I knew that I somehow I felt, or maybe not immediately, but I felt that I I wanted and needed, um, to write it, to write about this in, in some way. I didn't know exactly how I knew that I didn't want to enact, reenact the, the, the rapes. Um, those deep, that's not what I was interested in doing. And so, you know, and then, and then, and then other things happened. My sister, um, became very sick. She was suffering from, um, depression and she took her own life in 2010. And after that, and she and I spent a lot of time talking about, uh, talking about these, these rapes and, and talking about Mennonite culture, um, and how, you know, what we had experienced in this, in these particular communities in our own conservative Mennonite community. And, um, and, and, and we, and she um, was 
instrumental in kind of helping me to figure out how I was going to go forward in this. Um, then she got very sick and she took her own life in 2010. And then everything stopped and in terms, you know, writing. Um, and when I finally did think again about wanting to write or being able to write again, um, I, uh, wanted to write about my sister and I wanted to write about, um, our, our, our relationship and, and, and her, uh, struggles and, and her life and her death and her illness and, um, suicide. And, um, so then, so, you know, time, time passed and, and then eventually, you know, when I, but this, and this, this book, Women Talking was always, you know, wasn't called Women Talking, obviously it was just this thing and, and in the back of my mind. So when I actually started writing it, um, because it had lived inside of me for so long and, um, you know, it didn't take a long, long time to write, um, and, you know, a year, but it was, but, but it was also so, um, it's such an intense experience, more intense an experience than any other writing experience I've ever had. Mm. And, um, so I feel as though maybe the writing took on a little bit of the same urgency that the women's discussion in the loft took on. And therefore, um, there wasn't, I felt, I didn't have a lot of time. I felt things closing in and, um, Mm. you know, um, whether that was some sort of sympathetic parallel experience, um, of course, not of the, of the attacks themselves, but of that, that sense of time of time of urgency. Um, but it didn't take that, that long. And I knew that I needed to finish it rather, Mm. um, quickly. I love, I love that it took that on for you. Um, were there, was there any pushback that you've received on the book that either you felt was valid or that you were like, this is crap. I can't believe someone said that about my book that <laughs> sticks out in your mind. Well, um, I mean, there are always, you know, there are always, um, a certain, uh, group of, um, conservative male Mennonites who, um, who have always, um, attempted to discredit me, who, uh, are angry with me, who hate me, who would prefer that I, um, was silent, didn't write the stuff that I, that I write. That's all that, that's always been the case. There are many, 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 uh, supporters as well. Um, Mennonite support and supporters, male and female, um, but a lot of women. And so, um, you know, that that's kind of standard, Mm -hmm. particularly with the women attempting to uh, achieve agency, um, determine for themselves how they're going to live, what they're going to do, um, seem to anger you know, you know, particularly these conservative, you know, conservative types, um, who feel threatened, um, by that. And I don't think that that's confined to a Mennonite, um, (laughs) community. That's a, that's a, that's something that, you know, is is happening and is ongoing that we're, you know, struggling with forever. Uh, maybe not forever. Hopefully not forever. forever. (laughs) Absolutely. Hopefully not forever. Uh, And, um, yeah. So I'm, I think, you know, um, yeah, I think that was kind of, it's always 
disappointing. I always feel that, you know, I always, why can't we be self-critical? Why can't we, why can't we look at our community, you know, look at the problems within our community, you know, the problems that are a direct result of, you know, the, this hierarchy, the authoritarianism, fundamentalism, et cetera, isolationism. Right. And with it, you know, the self-governing thing where, you know, men act with impunity and, and entitlement and, and women are, you know, silenced, voiceless, dehumanized o- over time um, from day one. And, and, um, and with no recourse, I mean, they can't leave these colonies and there's no outside, you know, they're, they're trapped, they're prisoners. And, and um, why can't we look, why can't we look at that as a, as a, as a Mennonite, as a kind of, you know, collective Mennonite community and and attempt to um you know with respect of course for the faith for religious freedom for for all of that with for tradition absolutely um you, you know but 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 with in mind with you know take taking care of our people um and 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 giving voice to to women and um, and girls. Anyway, I mean, I'm you know rambling again, but there is always that, and I get tired of it. You know, I do sure. I do get tired of it, but but I'm but I'm used to it, and I and I always expect it. Let me just say that I love your rambling. What you call rambling <laughs> to me is like this the most divine, <laughs> interesting stuff. So don't ever stop rambling. I really only have one more question for you, which is for people who love women talking, what are other books that you think maybe are a good companion or in conversation with or things that you might suggest feel similarly, even if it's not the same topic, but just things that you know that you're like, oh, if you like this, you might be interested in that. That's a that's a good question. Um <laughs> That's a very that's a very good question, you know. In terms of the the idea of women coming together and talking, I mean, there there are writers who who are who have been doing that for ever, who continue to to do it. Um, uh, Virginia Woolf, Rachel Cusk, for instance, Pat Barker, Joy Williams, Alice Monroe, Margaret Atwood. I mean, they're they're like, um, you know, that this i this idea of women speaking out, which again is so bizarrely um, threatening and terrifying to, to certain people. There, there are books that I'm thinking about too, like for, you know, again, you know, Bolaño stuff, which include, which even though not necessarily directly about women speaking out really not at all, but, but the combination um, of dealing with, looking at, writing, examining the kind of, um, corruption that that the within power you know and and the sinister evil although i'm not sure i like the word evil but the sinister aspect of and that corruption uh within 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 you know government nations powerful organizations and how that affects the individual how it affects art how it affects expression um and how it affects women's lives and uh, especially particularly not only women's lives but especially women's lives mm-hmm. and, and um you know and and even nelson algren who who i just i mentioned because he there's a new biography of him He's one of my favorite writers. He uh, died a long time ago. Um, and his stuff, maybe it's dated or something. I'm not sure, but I love his stuff. It's about the disenfranchised, the marginalized, the voiceless. And, um, you know, and again, not only women, but but um, it's that it's that idea of giving voice to 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 people without a voice. So, I mean, and um, I mean, there are just there's so many writers. Yeah. Well, Miriam, thank you so much. This was so great to talk to you and about your book, Women Talking, which is out now. 
I mean, it's been out, but now it's out in the States where I am. Uh, <laughs> but thank you so much. Do you have anything else that you wanted to add before we go? No, I think, I think, I think we covered it. Like I say, I rambled on. So that <laughs> in the best way, in the best way. Um, well, thank you so much. And everyone else, we will see you in the stacks. Thank you all so much for listening to The Short Stacks and thank you to Miriam Taves for joining us. I also want to say thank you to Tara Kennedy and the folks over at Bloomsbury. You can purchase Women Talking now wherever you get your books. To help support The Stacks and earn awesome perks, go to patreon.com slash the stacks or make one-time contributions at paypal.me slash the stacks pod. Make sure you're subscribed to The Stacks wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please take a moment to rate and review the show. Our graphic designer is Robin McCright, and our theme music comes from Tagiragis. This show was created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas, and I will see you in the stacks. <laughs>